good morning. If you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us here today, and I am grateful that you are here. Now, I've always been fascinated with the idea, I know it's not real, don't think I'm crazy, but the idea of time travel, okay? I think it began when I was a little boy with cartoons and imagining what it may be like just to travel back in time. And even now, as I drive through big cities like Dallas or like San Antonio or Houston, I always imagine or try to imagine what that place was like before all the concrete and the big buildings. What was it like when that place was first discovered? And this is one of the very reasons that I have fallen in love with West Texas. I was talking with Kirk right about this before the service. Uh, out near Big Ben and uh, Fort Davis, uh, not much has changed. And so you don't have to imagine too much about what it looked like 200 or 300 years ago. And you can easily picture what it was like for the first settlers there at the, and the Native Americans who lived there hundreds of years ago. So naturally, uh, growing up, one of my favorite movies was the trilogy from Back to the Future, uh, where, yeah, right, where Doc Brown takes a DeLorean car and somehow turns it into a time machine in which Marty McFly travels back to the 50s, to the 1800s, and even to the future to see what his town was like in all of those different eras. And I still love those movies today, and if they come on TV as a rerun, I have a hard time turning them off. And see, what Marty McFly discovered when he went back to the 50s and to the 1800s in his town is that sometimes we have to go back to the past in history to understand the things of the present. Today in our text, Paul has just told us that we can be free from the wrath of God. He told us this last week in Romans chapter 3, verses 21. We're walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. And last week we were in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And Paul has just told us that uh, we can all be free from the wrath of God through the righteousness of God, which comes through faith for all who believe. So to show us that this has always been Paul now jumps in his pretend time machine of sorts, and he goes back 2,000 years before he wrote the book of Romans and 4,000 years from our day to a time when God made a promise to a man named Abraham to show the righteousness of God that has always been made available through faith. So last week we looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, and we discovered that the only hope that we have from the wrath of God is Christ alone. This week we'll be in Romans chapter 4, all of it, and we'll be discovering that faith has always been the way of salvation. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we've got a lot of uh, passages to work through today. Uh, take out your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that is okay. Uh, we should have one in the seat in front of you that you can use, and you can find our passage today on page 885. But let's begin with reading Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 now. It says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
And just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So now that we have jumped into this and Paul's jumped into his pretend time machine and he's gone back to Abraham, he asked this question and he said no one can boast and that everyone that comes to salvation has had faith in God. And so now he begins in the, talking about Abraham. But before we get to that, let's talk about who was Abraham. Some of us may be familiar. Some of us not, may not be familiar about who was Abraham. Well, Abraham was the founding father of Israel, the rock from which they were all cut, like we see in Isaiah 51. Abraham was also held in the highest esteem by the Jewish rabbis as the perfect example of the righteousness and even as a special friend of God, like we see in Isaiah 41. So as a result of this, some of the Jews probably, probably and possibly believed that Abraham had been justified by works of righteousness. And we even see that proclaimed in some extra biblical text like the book of Jubilees where it says that explicitly. It says Abraham was perfect in all of his dealings with the Lord and gained favor by his righteousness through his life. So this was a common belief that was held by the Jews of this day. However, in Romans 4, Paul begins writing to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and he's writing to a people who would have been incredibly familiar with who Abraham was. So just real quickly to catch us all up, let's run through the story of Abraham real quick. So in Genesis 11, we're met with Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And then in Genesis 12, we see that God called Abraham to leave his home and his people in Ur and promises to show him another land, to give him a large family, and through him to bless all of his people on earth. But see, the problem was Abraham and his wife could not have children. But God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then in Genesis 17, God promises that Sarah, who was unable to have children, would have a son from whom an everlasting covenant would come from his offspring after him. Now, today we know that God was talking about Jesus coming from the lineage of Abraham, but Abraham didn't really understand this. And see, Sarah was 90 years old at this point, and she was unable to have children. I mean, can you imagine that? So when God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 5 that Sarah was going to have a child at the, year, at the age of being 90 years old, Abraham actually fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, I'm 100 years old and my new bride is 90 years old, right? <laughs> his bride of old. How can she have a child? But in Genesis 21, we see that God did exactly as he had promised. And Sarah had a son in her old age named Isaac. And you may be thinking, well, what does all of this have to do with the book of Romans? Well, remember who God's special family was called. They were called the Jews and the Israelites. Well, Abraham's family with all of his kids and his grandkids are those chosen people. So God told Abraham and the men and the boys and his family to be circumcised as a sign that they were God's chosen people. We see that as a sign of covenant between God and Abraham and his offspring in Genesis chapter 17. So now that we have just a little bit of background super fast on who Abraham was, Paul, who has just said that our justification 
the righteousness of God, our salvation comes from faith for all who believe. Now ask the question in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Well, what about Abraham, the forefather of our flesh? How did he come to have righteousness? How did he come to have salvation? And Paul has just said earlier that we have no reason to boast except in our Lord Jesus Christ. But what about Abraham? Did Abraham have a reason to boast? Many believed, like I just said, that Abraham was made righteous by his works. So did Abraham have any reason to boast? Was Abraham saved by the things he had done? Well, then Paul, now in verse 2, begins to go against the commonly held belief of his people, the Jews, and says in verse 2, if he was justified by works, then he has something to boast in. But then we see in verse 3, Paul says, Abraham did not work for his salvation. He said, Abraham believed in God, which was counted as righteous, the righteousness he needed to be saved. And then in verse 4, Paul says, when you work for something, the wages or what you earn, the money or the things earned are not credited to your account as a gift, but rather as what is due. I mean, we know this, right? Uh, many of you go uh, to work every morning and you go and you work hard, whether it's in the oil fields or in the office or whether you're at home and you're working at home. Uh, but when you put in those long hours and it comes time for payday and now we have direct deposit, which is directly credited to our account, right? If your boss comes to you and says, hey, that direct deposit that has been credited to your account, it's a gift that I have given to you. You say, ain't no way, right? There ain't no way. I worked hard for that money. I earned that pay. And that's Paul's argument right here. If we work for something, then it is something that is due to us, something that is credited to our account. But then in verse 5, Paul says, But for the one who does not work, but believes in Jesus Christ, his faith justifies the ungodly, and he receives the gift of being credited or counted as righteousness. So we get what we don't deserve. And this is Paul expanding on what he's just said in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Paul is saying, Hey, Abraham was credited righteousness as a gift because of his faith and his belief in God. Paul's main point here is this. None of us can boast, Abraham included, because no one has earned their salvation. So Paul is going back and he's poking the bear of the Jewish held beliefs right here. He's saying, Abraham, your forefather, he also was saved by belief. Through faith, righteousness was credited to his account because it is a gift from God who justifies the ungodly who puts their trust and their faith in him. Now, theologian John Stott puts it this way. He says, faith is not an alternative to righteousness, but rather a means by which we are declared righteous. And this is good news. We get what we don't earn. We get what we don't deserve as a free and unearned gift of grace by faith, we receive justification by Jesus Christ. So instead of our unrighteous works, what we do deserve being counted and credited to our account as something we have earned, our unrighteousness, instead, 
The grace of God, something that's unearned, is counted and credited into our account as a gift. That's the point that Paul is making here. And hear me, Christian, there is great hope in a God who justifies the ungodly. Paul then continues in verses 6 through 8, and he says this, and he begins to quote Psalm 32 that we read to begin our service this morning. And he continues his time-traveling lesson as he jumps from the example of Abraham to the example of David. So he's made the example. He said, okay, that was Abraham. Now what about David? So he moves from Genesis chapter 15 all the way to Psalm 32, uh, which is what we see in verses 7 through 8 as he's quoting that. So Paul is making the point here. The same is true for David, the great king of Israel. David was a great sinner, but yet he was loved by God. And David says here that God is the one who covers sins. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, will not credit his sin to himself. David, who's writing this psalm of the forgiven, is declaring that once we are justified, our record contains Christ's perfect righteousness and can never again contain our sins. And this is good news for us believers because we are all sinners. Yet God's forgiveness covers our sins and we are credited with his righteousness, something we don't deserve but is given as a gift of grace through our trust and our faith and our belief in him. So David is saying here, and Paul is using his words to remind the Roman Christians and to remind us that we are blessed because although we are still sinners, our sins are not held against us. God's not keeping a record of our sins because our sins are not held against us. Now, this is not to say that we don't need to confess our sins to him, to constantly repent and turn from our sins, but this is to say that God is not dangling our sinfulness over our heads dangling like a carrot, saying, hey, remember what it is that you've done. But rather, he has justified and he has marked us as righteous. He has saved us fully and completely through our justification. He is continually to save us through our sanctification as we are becoming more and more like Jesus until one day when we are fully saved in heaven with him forever, when we are glorified with him. So Paul says, hey, don't just look at Abraham, the founding father of of the Jews, but also look at the great Jewish king, King David. And both of these men are declaring that the righteousness of God comes through faith for those who believe that we are justified as a gift. And what good news is this? There is hope. There is freedom from our sins, and it's not dependent upon us or our ability to obey the law, but it is a free gift that is offered to all who believe. I wonder, for those of you in the room, believers and unbeliever alike, if you are subconsciously trying to earn the favor of God through being a good person or through doing good deeds, and it may be subtle, believer, hear me, it may be subtle. You may find yourself in your own mind keeping a tally of your sins. Like, I did this many bad things yesterday, so I've got to do this many good things to atone and to make up for the bad things that I have done. Well, I did something really bad on Tuesday, so on Wednesday I'm going to do something really nice. And we come to this place where we're trying to atone for our own sins. And hear me, according to this passage, that is foolishness. Because Jesus Christ is alone, is the only one who can ever fully forgive us of our sins. Would you hear Abraham's testimony? Would you hear David's psalm? And would you hear Paul's words? And would you allow God to be good enough for you to fully save you from your sins, 
fully and completely forever. Dear believer, let's not fall prey to the lies of the enemy that we somehow need to pay for our sins, but let's rest, let's abide in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's seek to do good deeds. We see that all the way through the book of 1 Peter. Do good, do good, do good. Let's seek to do good, to bring honor to God through our obedience, but may our good deeds never be subconscious in our minds of having any effort of earning our salvation. See, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And dear believer, today, we as well are justified by faith, not by our works. Abraham was also justified by grace and not by the law. Let's continue reading now in verses 9 through 17 as we see that. It says this in verse 9 through 17. <clears throat> Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then is it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? If was, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the father of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, it, if the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only, to the, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." Now, Paul begins back in verse 9, and he opened with a question that expands on what he's already said about circumcision back in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, where he said that circumcision is not a matter of the heart by the Spirit, but it's not a matter of outward actions, but it's a matter of an inward change. It's not an outward action. So in verse 9, he continues by asking the question, well, is the blessing of righteousness by grace of justification by faith only available to those who are Jews. How was Abraham saved? So then we see in verse 10 that Paul makes this argument. He says, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, but he was justified before he was circumcised. So using the language of Paul's day, what Paul is saying here is very significant. We don't need to miss it. He's saying that Abraham was a Gentile, when he was justified through faith in the Lord. He's saying that his circumcision had nothing to do with his justification. So why was this circumcision given? Well, Paul says in verse 11 that Abraham received this as a sign first, that Abraham belonged to God and that he believed in his promise. And then second, we see that he also received it as a seal. 
as a reminder to Abraham that God had given the promise and that God was a promise keeper. But Abraham received salvation. He received the righteousness of God by faith while he was still uncircumcised. This is a huge statement to be made by Paul to his people, the Jews. And look at the second half of verse 11. It says that the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. And remember the context that the book of Romans is being written to. Paul is writing to a divided church that is divided by those who are Gentile believers and those who are Jewish believers. And so they're divided over whether they're Jewish or Gentile. And Paul is saying here that he's making this statement here that Abraham is the father of you all. And that's a huge statement to make. Today, we can also declare that we are a child of Abraham because we too are a people who believe in God. Well, today, I wonder if there is any sign or seal of the covenant that we have with God of our belief today. There is. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. It says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right there. I think I just read the wrong passage. I just read chapter 2. I'm going to read chapter 1 now right there because that didn't make any sense. It's chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13 through 14. It says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It sounds much better when you read the right verse, right? So today we also have a sign and a seal of the new covenant of the belief that we have with God. See, our new covenant rests in the blood of Jesus Christ, which covers our sin and his righteousness placed over us through our trust and our faith and our belief in him. And we see this when we read the familiar passage in Luke chapter 22, when we take the Lord's Supper. It says in the same way, when he took the cup and they had eaten it, he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, believers today, we are sealed by the sign of the Holy Spirit of God, which resides in all of us who profess belief in Jesus Christ. Today, we know that God is a promise keeper, and the Holy Spirit that resides in each of us as believers is the guarantor of our future hope. Now, we see that all through 1 Peter. Believer, God is a promise keeper. And the sign and the seal of his promise to us, heaven and salvation and our future hope, is the Holy Spirit that resides in us. He guarantees that we have heaven to look forward to, and that we have salvation in him, and he is our guarantee of our coming salvation. Paul continues in verse 13 through 17 saying, Abraham was justified before the law was given. So Paul's point here is that the promise of justification to Abraham through the righteousness of God was not only before circumcision. So he didn't come to faith not only before circumcision, but he also came to faith through righteousness before the law was ever even given. See, Abraham was justified by believing in God's promise, not by obeying God's law that had not yet even been given. 
In fact, in verse 15, Paul says that the law brings wrath. And the law was given not that so anyone could keep it and be saved by it, but so that they could see how much they need the salvation that only Jesus Christ can offer. A few weeks ago, I shared that Tony Evans, when he talks about the law, he uses the example of a mirror, saying that a mirror only shows you who you really are. But mirrors don't fix anything. They only show us what needs fixing. In the same way, the law was not designed to fix you. It was not designed to fix the Jews, but to reveal what it is that needs fixing and to point us to the only one who can truly fix us and save us, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. See, Paul's point here is that the fact that Abraham was justified by grace and not the law shows that salvation is available to all. And then in verse 16, Paul says, This salvation through faith alone and by grace alone can be guaranteed to us all, not only those who follow the law, but also those who share in the same faith that Abraham, who was the father of us all, had in God to save him. So Paul here is speaking to a divided church in Rome, and he's making this statement to the Jews, and he's making this statement to the Gentiles. He's saying, Salvation is available to all who believe to all who have faith. And it began with Abraham. Abraham was justified by believing in God's promise. David was justified by believing in God's promise. Abraham was justified by grace, not by the law. Paul finishes uh, up in a second. But before that, this is good news for us as well today. Maybe today we buy the lies that in order to be saved, we must first adhere to some type of man-derived sense of law or morality. Many wrongly believe today that you first need to be a certain type of person to be saved by Jesus Christ. But this is good news for us all today. To be saved, we don't first have to be a church member. We don't first have to clean our life up. We don't first have to know where to find all of the books of the Bible in order. We don't have to have a portion of the Bible memorized. But today... For your friends and for your families and for us all and for our children, salvation is available to all. And this is good news that we should be proclaiming from the rooftops church. God sees us in our sinfulness and he has made a way for us to be back in right relationship with him. Well, what does that matter? Well, it matters because the life we have on this broken and this fallen and on this earth is incredibly short. But for all of eternity... Everyone we know, all of us will be in one of two places. Either we'll be in heaven with God forever in the fullness of his glory, experiencing his perfection and his goodness, and I can't wait for that day, or we will be separated from God forever in a real place called hell, which is described as the lake of fire in Scripture. And we'll be separated from anything that is good. We'll be separated and experience torment and agony like we can't even begin to imagine. And hey, church, I want to be with God forever. I desire to be in his glory with him and experience his perfection and his goodness forever. And I can't wait for that day. Today, in light of what we've just prayed for earlier, let's consider that. Where's your eternal home? Where is our family's eternal home? And it may not seem like it matters right now, but in light of eternity, this is the most important truth that we can share with our family and friends. Do you believe this? Do you have compassion? Are you urged to share this with your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and those in our community? 
share, hey, there's no need to clean yourself up. Just come to God with faith and believe, and his righteousness will be credited to you, and you don't receive the, what is credited to you through your unrighteousness, but you're credited his righteousness in your account. Paul then finishes his text in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Let's read that now. He says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do as he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul begins in verse 18 talking about Abraham's hope and where it was. He says, where was his hope? Well, his hope was in God. And it was against the hope of the things of this world. He had God, hope in what God had said and what God had promised. That he would become the father of many nations. And his faith did not weaken, even like it says in the English Standard Version, that he was as good as dead. Uh, Now, in our family, we just had a new baby seven months ago. And I'm 38 years old. I can't imagine having a newborn baby when the Bible says you're as good as dead. I mean, talk about some really long nights. Uh, it must have been really hard for Abraham and Sarah. Uh, but Abraham had hope in what God said, even when Sarah thought she couldn't have a baby. He trusted God. Nothing caused him to have unbelief or to waver from the promise of God, but rather he did what? He grew in his faith and he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It was this faith that he was fully convinced God was able to do what he had promised and this belief and this trust that led his faith to being counted as righteousness. Abraham was convinced God was able to do what he had promised. This led to his justification through faith in the promise of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul then continues in verse 23 through 25 and he says, Hey, this was good news for Abraham, but this is not only good news for Abraham. This is good news for us as well. Paul here says the righteousness of God will be credited, will be counted to us as well if we believe in him who raised the dead dead Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is saying the same God who credited faith to Abraham as righteousness is the same God who will credit righteousness to us also if we believe and we have faith in him. Abraham is not alone. This is a gift of God, the righteousness of God, which is available through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. All have fallen short of the glory of God and can receive the gift of justification by his grace through Jesus Christ. And this is good news, church, that we need to be reminded of. Paul is saying the God who justified Abraham 
The God who justified Isaac and Jacob and David is the same God who today is able to justify and save us when we believe in him. He is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. See, Abraham was justified by resurrection power, not by human effort. This is what God's word says and what it means. I wonder today how we might apply this to our lives. And today I just have two short applications for us. And our first is this. We need to remember that our God is a promise keeper. There's a great reminder in this text today that the God of Abraham, 4,000 years from our day, is the same God that we serve today. The same God who kept his promise to Abraham when Abraham couldn't even understand how that would be possible is the same God today that keeps his promises to us. And we can trust God to keep his promises. We can have faith that God is a promise keeper because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he says he will do it, he will do it. Well, why is that important? Well, so often we can forget God will keep his promises. In our culture, we're such an instantaneous and an impatient people, aren't we? I mean, if I'm going through the drive through at Whataburger and it takes longer than 10 minutes, I'm out of there, right? Like, we don't want to wait for anything. So if God says something, we expect that it should have happened five minutes ago. But that's not how God works, is it? See, for hundreds of years, God promised that he was sending a Messiah, a Savior. And yet it wasn't until 2,000 years after Abraham that God sent the one who could finally and forever cover the sins of his children. And we can, in our life, say, well, does God care about me? Well, we see the promise from Scripture in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we can cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. In our life, we can be tempted to ask, well, has God forgotten about me? We see in 1 John 5, 14, that if we ask anything of him according to our will, according to his will, he hears us. See, we can arm ourselves with the truth of God's word and God's promises from Scripture to fight the temptation of when it may be that we we may not trust God. So today, would you remember that the same God who made a promise to Abraham and kept it is the same God who makes a promise to you today. And the chief of those promises being that through our faith, through our belief, the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be credited to us. So when we take our last breath here on this earth and we stand before a holy God who asks us, why should I let you into my heaven? We can say, because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ has been credited to me. It covers me. It has purchased me and it has redeemed me from my sinfulness. We can stand on that promise. Christian, remember this. God was able to do what he had promised. So today, let's also be convinced that God is still able to do what he has promised to us well. Our God is a promise keeper. Our second application today is this, and final application is, today, salvation is available to all. Today, I want to remind us, once again, hey, we don't have to clean up our lives to be saved. We don't have to work for our salvation Today in our text, Paul uses the example of Abraham and David to show that salvation is a gift that is not earned, but it's given freely to those who profess belief in Jesus Christ and have faith in him. See, God is able to justify the ungodly, and that is good news today. I also want to let that, I want to implore that that would cause you to have compassion on those in your life that you know that don't have belief in Jesus Christ as well. It would be my prayer that we would not be a people of hard hearts, 
that we'd be a people of soft hearts that have compassion on those that have not yet proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so as we go throughout our lives, I would ask that we share the simple truth that we know, that there is a God who loves us, and He is holy, and He is perfect, and He's created you, and He's created me, and He's created everything that we can see and that we can touch and we can feel. But yet all of us have done something wrong. We've all sinned. We've all stolen. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've done something wrong. And that's a problem because it separates us from a holy God who created us and a God who loves us. Not because God hates us, but because his character won't allow him to be associated with sin, which we all are sinners. But God loves each of us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby, being fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a fully perfect, sinless life here on earth, but yet he went to a cross and he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave so that today you don't have to remain separated from him, but we can have a redeemer named Jesus Christ if we repent of our sins, if we have faith and believe in Jesus, and we follow him. You hear me share that every single week. And I do it almost identical every single week. Why? Because I want you to be so familiar with the gospel message that you can share it on those that God breaks your heart for. I want you to be able to tell them that there is a God. We are sinners, and God sent his only son, and we can be saved. So today, I just want to remind you of that truth, and I want to ask that your heart would be compelled and be broken for the lost. Don't buy the lie, dear believer as well, that somehow we need to make up for our sinfulness. But let's rest and let's abide in the Lord and have comfort in him as our Savior and our Lord. Today, believer, Abraham had hope. And today we can have hope that goes beyond all understanding because we serve a God who is a promise keeper. Today, it may be hard to act in faith in moments, I know that, but we see the truth and we trust and we rest in the truth that the same God that we serve today is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's a God who keeps his promises and we can trust him. Our big idea for today is this. Our God keeps his promises, and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, would you remember today that we can trust the promises of God? Today, God has said you are forgiven. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that God is not enough, but know that God is the same God who's kept his promises through history, and he is keeping his promise of salvation to you today as well. Believer, Remember today, salvation is available to all, to everyone. Today, who are you compelled to share this good news with? Who are you praying for to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Let's commit to pray for the salvation of those whom we love and to tell them about Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never professed belief in Jesus Christ. Today, if you don't have the confidence of salvation, would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? And in a moment, when we sing a song, I'll be down front. That's the moment that you can come down front. You can come down for prayer. You can come down to ask me to help you uh, place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you need to do in these moments, the altar is open. Let's not waste these moments, but let's meet with the Lord. Let's do business with him today. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.